Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. It's Christina here today, and on this week's episode... I'm chatting with Nicole Cruz from Nicole Cruz RD about how challenging it can be as a parent to navigating exposing our child to eating a nutrient-dense diet and at the same time allowing all foods to fit. We also dive into how pressuring our children at the dinner table to try a certain food can backfire and what you can do instead, and ultimately how the pressures in parenting culture can heavily influence our children's long-term relationship with food and their body. And we also answer the big question that everyone wants to know is, what do we do if my child will only eat sweets? Nicole, I'm super happy to have you on. I'm really excited to share this topic, talking really about how parents can feed their kids. I think there's a lot of confusion (laughs) and a lot of pressure Um, on parents around how to feed their kids and what that looks like. And I really love how you have an approach of taking a lot of that pressure away and really making it a lot more easeful and also um, taking a lot of the, the diet pieces out of it. So, which is really ultimately the goal and kind of setting our kids up for that. But before we get started, would you be willing to share with us a little bit about you and your journey and how you came to be what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm really excited to be here and chat about all things kids and food. And um, yeah, so my journey really started with myself and my own relationship with food and um, just the really Cliff Notes, Cliff Notes version. Um, I was, you know, late high school into college, really struggling with food myself and had an eating disorder and ended up leaving college and, um, you know, starting recovery and healing my own relationship with food and really reassessing everything that I might want to do, which landed me as I want to be a dietitian and help other people heal their relationship with food. And so I knew going into dietetics, that was what I wanted to do was to really work with clients struggling with eating disorders and body image issues and help in that way. And so I started on that journey and I had you know, worked in clinical settings and eating disorder treatment centers and ended up opening my own private practice. And then I had children myself and I was in the parenting world and really seeing how so many well-meaning parents want the best for their child, want them to be happy and healthy and, you know, healthy with food habits and all of those things. And they were doing, I was just observing so many things that I could see in my teenage and adult clients, you know, that, that were starting so young, these little nuances of the way that we talk about food or tell them to, you know, take two more bites or that we elevate dessert and put it on this pedestal and bribe with it. And all of those things, um, where parents really 
were unsure too, I think about what to do. And I was just seeing that even in my own group of friends that they felt stressed about like how to feed their child the right way, you know, air quotes, the right way. And so that really led me into what I saw as being not that we can prevent eating disorders, but more prevention of really having this passion for wanting to raise kids to have a healthy relationship with food from the start and hopefully not go down these deep paths of, you know, disordered eating and body shame and hatred and all of those things that so many adults struggle with. (laughs) If we can start at home with building that foundation, I think why not? And I understand what you mean about we can't really prevent eating disorders because, and we also don't cause them as parents, (laughs) but we can definitely do what we can to set a framework for a more positive relationship with food and our body. And I get what you mean around like observing it with other families, especially as when you work in the eating disorder world, like we both do, we can see it. And then we see our teens come in and the adults we come in and work with. And we're like, oh man, if there was anything we could do to kind of change, because now so much unlearning is happening. And it would be so nice if I could go back and say, do you remember how your parents used to talk about food for you? Like, you know, that we can build off of that, you know? (laughs) So I, I really love that a lot. And I completely agree with you that there is this level of a desire within myself And it starts with my own child, you know, and soon to be children, I'm pregnant right now, but with wanting to do what I can to set them up to have the best relationship with food and their body as possible. And we all know society is going to come in and mess with it and tinker with it and all the different things, but at least they know that they'll have the foundation at home that they can come home to. Um, And I really love what you're saying about observing parents, like wanting to get it right and wanting to do all this stuff. And one of the videos that you had recently that I really loved was around, it's not our job as parents to get our kids to eat certain foods and amounts and varieties. And so I'd love for you to share a little bit about where do you think this pressure kind of comes from and then what can they do instead to make it a little bit easier? I think it's partially, you know, the culture that we live in, in terms of like, when I say that meaning like our parenting culture, you know, that there's so much emphasis on parents constantly to buy the right products and raise their kid the right way and have them in the right number of sports and like all these, right, like activities and this overabundance of, of doing it right in general. Um, And I think a lot of that pressure too is just, so it's just the parenting culture in general, but it, we really see it from, I feel like day one with food, right? Are you supposed to breastfeed? Are you supposed to bottle feed? And all the shame that like goes in with that, if you're not doing the right one and then from starting solids. I mean, I remember as someone who was well aware that I wanted to raise my children to have a healthy relationship with food, feeling stressed out about which solids to do because I'm hearing like, well, if you, you know, introduce them to fruits first, then they're going to have this affinity for sweet taste. And then they're really not going to like even the vegetables and to try things with more bitter taste and flavors and all of that and feeling this pressure. And I remember stressing about um, having sugar in the yogurt. Like, well, maybe if I just started with playing yogurt, then they would just learn to like playing yogurt because that's all they would ever know. And my kids hated playing yogurt from like day one, but I was nervous about giving them the sweeter one because I had heard that that could mess with their palate and, you know, all of these things. And so I feel like it's just this constant pressure from literally day one around how we feed our kids. 
And therefore we feel like getting back to kind of that, getting them to eat, that it's our job to do it right. And to get the kid who's, I always laugh about like going to eat the salmon and kale salad or something, right? It's like, we all have the the niece that does it that way or the best friend's kid who eats that way. And it feels like, which you and I both know this isn't true, but it feels like that's on the parents, right? Well, they fed them more variety. They just expected them to eat what they were eating. So they ended up raising this like adventurous eater, but it's the other parents fault if they have a kid who only wants mac and cheese and hot dogs. Like there's just this underlying tone around that, which isn't accurate. And everyone has different preferences around food. And some kids are naturally more adventurous and others are not. And so as parents, that's why I think we really have to step back and realize it's not our job to get them to eat a certain thing. It's our job to just keep providing it, exposing them, focusing on that process of raising them to have a healthy relationship with food, as opposed to trying to get them to eat a certain thing, because then we put that pressure on our kids and that backfires, you know, in actually getting them to eat more variety, which is the thing we want, but it also backfires in the bigger picture of their long-term relationship with food as well. Yeah, absolutely. I really love the internal dialogue that you shared about going back and forth about yogurt. Because I remember doing that too. And we're practitioners, we're licensed practitioners in this field, and we felt overwhelmed. So for people who don't even have that background, it can feel incredibly like impactful in that way and feel really overwhelming and then really feeling like, well, if I don't get it right, oh my gosh, what are people going to think of me? What are people going to think of my kid? How am I setting my kid up for the future? What am I really providing for them? How do I do this? And I think that that there's so much pressure. And I, I also think too, like how much social media can come in. And as much as I love like um, feeding our children accounts and stuff like that, but sometimes even that can feed into it. <laughs> in a lot of ways, like, well, what if I'm following all the steps for my picky eater and they're, they still don't like green beans? Like maybe they just don't like green beans. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're exactly right. It comes from practitioners. It comes from other parents. Like we see these, you know, perfectly laid out rainbow colored food bento boxes and things with this expectation that uh, our kids should be eating like that as well. And a lot of times that's not the case, you know, and like you said, what if they just don't like them, you know, and, and can that be okay? Like, can it be okay if your child doesn't like vegetables nearly as much as they like fruits or bread or sweets? Like we, we have such ideas about how our children should eat and what's the right way and how we're supposed to get them to eat a certain way. Um, and what if it's just not that way? I say that to my daughter sometimes. She'll say like, I don't like that. And I go, yeah, I don't really like it either. Like, like I don't always like, like that's okay. And one thing I've said to her sometimes, like I was eating grapefruit and she really wanted to try it. So I gave her some and she goes, I don't think I like that. I said, you know, I didn't like it when I was little either, but something recently I've been really into it. And so I said, maybe you'll like it someday, you know, maybe yeah. one day you'll like it. And I think one of the things that I was thinking about too, when we're when we're doing that kind of push pull at the dinner table with getting our kids to eat certain things, like thinking about what are we really reinforcing for our kids? If we're pushing them to take bites of food, what lesson are they actually learning rather than they're not learning variety? They're learning, Oh, I have to do this. I think there's a lot of things there, right? Like the, I have to do it. Um, meaning, 
I don't know what's best for my body. I'm just supposed to do it. I'm supposed to listen to whatever you tell me in terms of what's best for my body, you know? So I think there's this piece around trust there that we kind of break the trust and their ability to be able to listen to their own body and um, talking about, you know, who has autonomy over what actually happens and goes into their body. Uh, and we're really just breaking that internal intuitive nature around eating, which is like, I really enjoy this food. I want to eat more of it. I'm hungry. I want to eat or I'm full. I want to stop eating. I'm done. And it becomes very reactive in nature and being about like the rules or what I'm supposed to do as opposed to internal guidance around hunger, fullness, and satisfaction. Yeah. We don't want to break that break that down. Cause at some point then we're going to there, it's leading them to look outside and not being able to trust their own body and instincts too around, okay, well, maybe I, sh I can't trust. I've never been able to trust that I eat the quote unquote right things or taking care of myself. So maybe I do need to look to outside sources like diets and protocols and things like that down the road. Whereas if we teach our children right from the get go of, oh, you know, it's okay if you don't want it, you know, you don't have to eat that. You can take a taste if you'd like, you can spit it out. If you don't, if you don't like it, you can, you know, do, do whatever. And I feel like, um, that kind of shows a little bit more of a flexibility with food and that it's highly personalized. Um, one of the things that's part of that getting them to eat stuff is I think a lot of times it's our own internal, <laughs> our own internal crap that comes up in a lot of ways as parents of fighting like our own instinct and urge to kind of micromanage what we're, what our kids are eating, like down to like, sometimes we can micro micromanage the way they get dressed, the way they play, what time they go to bed. Sometimes going to bed is important. So we do need to micromanage that a little bit, but I think the same thing can often get pushed into food, um, and the way that we then micromanage food intake. And if you're trying to, let's say for parents out there who are like, Oh crap, they're listening to this. And they're like, Oh man, I've definitely, <laughs> I've definitely been doing some of this stuff and I've been wanting to, to course correct or change or shift the dynamic around food at home. What would you recommend around some shifts that they could do as parents to start to move that shift or is it just too late? And I don't think so. I know you don't think so, <laughs> but for people out there thinking that it might be, it's not. And what would you recommend that they start to do to ease up on that micromanagement? Yeah, I, I definitely with you. I think it's never too late, right? If we can see adults in their 60s and 70s and up doing this work on their own as parents, it's never too late to start changing the dialogue in our home and how we want to approach food um, and help get our kids on that track, you know, while we still have some influence on it. So absolutely never too late. And I think you brought up a really good point about the bedtime piece too, because I think that's where we start, right? It's like, yes, we want to establish a positive relationship with sleep. We want our kids to get rest, but what are we going to do? Are we going to sit there and like hold our kids' eyelids closed until they fall asleep? No, but we might say it's time for bed. You need to be in your room at 8 PM, right? Or it's time to start settling our body. We can read a book and then it's time to be in bed, but we're not necessarily going to say like, you have to close your eyes and be asleep by X, like, right. We can't force their body into sleep necessarily. We could try, but how well is that going to go? Right. And how bad are they going to push back against that? If we're sitting there trying to hold them down in bed versus just creating this structure around it. And so that's what we really want to do with food 
is what I like to call it, create a supportive structure so that they are exposed to a variety of foods so that they know that it's mealtime and they need to be at the table, right? But we're not going to force them to have to take a bite or force them to eat certain foods, right? Or um, cut them off from eating certain foods, right? We're going to provide that supportive structure of saying, hey, it's mealtime. It's time to come to the table. Let's sit together. Here is the food. And now it's up to you to decide what you want to eat, what amount you want to eat from what we are providing. So this goes back to the core, which is Ellen Satter's division of responsibility. And Ellen Satter is, you know, registered dietitian and clinical social worker who established this way of feeding where it's like parents have a job, which is to provide the what, when, and where of food. And children have a job, which is to decide what they want to eat and how much, if anything, from what is provided. And they're that can feel kind of rigid to some people and there can be some shortcomings. And I also think in within her work, there's some fat phobia. So I'm not always one to say like, go read all of it. And, you know, but I, I can't not talk about this without saying like, that is the core. And that's where this comes from is the division of responsibility by Ellen Satter. And so I think just establishing these are the general guidelines. This is the structure we're providing. And then within that, what we're really doing is trusting our child to listen to their body. So it's really establishing some boundaries, like it's time for bed, and then taking a step back and allowing your child to navigate the food in whatever way they choose within that structure. Mm -hmm. What do you, I agree with everything everything you just laid out there around how that's a really great framework. It's not perfect, but it's a really great framework to start off with and to utilize at the table. I think one of the things that comes up, I hear often with parents is, well, that sounds great, but my kid won't eat it. Or my kid only likes sweets or won't eat other things of more nutrient nutrient density is a word that I'll use sometimes. Like some foods have more higher nutrient density. So that can can be kind of scary to, to start to implement at home. So what can you do instead? Like when, I guess, what are the words I'm looking for? What's some language or offering they can do instead of saying, no, we can't have cookies right now, or no, we're not going to have this, or this is available um, right now. Or what would you recommend as like part of that shift at home. If we're starting to, if we haven't done that before, this is going to be new for parents, new for kids. Um, what's some of the language they can use instead of saying, well, no, we're not going to have that right now. Or maybe that's exactly what we say, but, but what, right. what yeah. So I think one of the pieces is without even the language first is you have to make sure that you're doing your job in providing food that is safe for your child and that you are creating that environment that's a sense of calm and safety as well. And so if we haven't done that, then it's really hard to use language that's going to be, you know, fitting and, and, and helpful. And so what we want to do is when we were talking about that exposure, we want to make sure we're providing new foods so that we're not always just saying here, you won't eat anything else. So here's your macaroni and cheese or whatever it is. And we're just cooking this complete separate meal. And, um, then that's what they're learning. Like, this is what I like. I don't like those other foods. And we're just kind of, um, what's the word? like cementing that, you know, that like, I won't like any other foods you eat separate than me. So, but on the flip side of that, though, what we don't want to do is just say, well, 
this is the food I've decided on and too bad if you don't like it, too bad, right? So we have to first be thoughtful about, is there something here that I really know my child likes and can fill up on, right? I'm not just going to provide a couple carrot sticks because they like carrots and then put out this, you know, casserole that they'll likely not touch and that they've never had before. And that's really overwhelming because they're going to be hungry and they're going to be probably intimidated by it and they're not going to like that. So first we want to make sure that we are putting something on the table that we know they like, that we would consider, you know, like a safe food. And then what we can do is if they choose to say like, I don't like any of this, I want mac and cheese instead, I want cookies, then we know that we've done our job in the structure by offering a variety of foods, offering enough filling foods, offering foods we know they like, that then we can say like, you know, that's okay. You don't have to eat it if you don't want. This is what we're having tonight. We'll have cookies again tomorrow, or we'll have cookies later tonight or whenever it might be. So when I look at language, I like to think about how are we making those foods that they want still feel available? So we don't just want to be like, nope, we're not having cookies or you've already had enough cookies, right? Saying things in the negative that make them sound like they're bad or off limits or they can't have any, but instead thinking about how can I keep this sense of positivity with food and be like, I love cookies too. That's such a great idea. You know, let's put cookies on the menu for tomorrow or whatever it might be. And then right now we have X, Y, and Z available. So we can still hold those boundaries around it, but we want to try to be positive around the language to say, yes, you will get cookies again. Yes, we have cookies. Yes, they're available. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that a lot because it kind of builds off of the the use of the language around the food too, around, oh, you have to eat something quote unquote healthy first before you can have cookies or cookies are bad. You've already had a lot of junk food today, so we're not going to have that. This is what we're having right now. But instead saying something like, like you're mentioning like, oh, cookie sounds great. But why don't we have them later or we'll have them, I'll say sometimes my daughter, like, oh, that's a great idea. Why don't we have that for a snack after school? You know, why don't I'll, when I pick you up from school today, I'll bring cookies and we'll have cookies together or something like that, where it's like, you're telling them like, it's not off limits. Um, it's just not right now. And I think that's the same thing that we do with like saying to the playground, I'd love to take you to the playground today, but I can't. So we'll try to do that the next sunny day. You know, I think it's not that dissimilar, but something comes up in parents. And I think all of us, when it comes to food and specifically where it feels really difficult to navigate, how do I set this boundary? And then at the same time, how do I neutralize, (laughs) neutralize this food? And it feels really, really difficult. And so what do you think would be, is like a major contributing factor that makes it really difficult for parents to separate those two things or implement what they might do with like a playground scenario versus a meal scenario. Yeah. I love that you brought that up because that's one of the things I talk with parents about a lot is what we're really trying to do is bring food back to regular parenting without all the other like crap that we have that infiltrates like our decision-making around it, right? This like fear of cookies or fear of sugar and sweets or fear that my kid will only want to ever eat mac and cheese or, you know, whatever the food is. And so when you said what gets in the way, I think a lot of it is our own fears and judgments around food. And and so, so much of this is our own work to really kind of look at ourselves and what comes up for us in terms of food, because I think those are the thoughts that usually drive it, right? Like if they don't learn to eat vegetables now, they're never going to like vegetables or they're going to be unhealthy because they're not eating vegetables. Or 
if they have another scoop of ice cream, they're going to learn that they always have to have another scoop of ice cream. Or it's, you know, when they ask for a cookie, our brain goes to like, all they ever want are sweets, you know? And so all of these things come up for us around these ideas that we have about good food versus bad food, what they should eat or shouldn't eat, you know, what does a perfect balanced meal look like? We get these ideas even from, you know, the government with my plate and the food pyramids and all of those things. It's like, well, this is how you're supposed to eat. This is what a balanced plate looks like. And so we're told that, so we have these ideas of what they should be doing, And so these are all normal thoughts. Like if you have thoughts like what I'm describing, we all have them, right? They're normal thoughts. They come from the culture that we live in, the way that we were brought up, you know, our own generational food stuff handed down to us. Like those are there. And I think that's what gets in the way of us just parenting, quote unquote, normally around food or in a way that doesn't carry all this extra energy is because there's this extra layer of diet culture and food fear and my kid not being healthy and them supposedly, you know, needing to eat in a certain balanced way. Yeah, no, I totally agree because I think there is, I've said to, I work with some clients who have children too. And sometimes they'll say like, oh man, I just, I really don't want this to happen to my kids. What can I do? And the thing that I've always said to them, start with you. Like, that's like, let's set the tone at the top, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and if we can do whatever we can to repair and understand that our relationship with food is complicated and messy and heavily influenced by a lot of other things, what can we do to kind of shield our kid from that kind of influence at home to make it a really safe place for them and them to feel really in the words of, um, the sunny side up nutritionist, which I had on the podcast recently too, is becoming a confident eater is really the goal. Like really wanting them to feel really confident with food and being able to navigate going to a restaurant, feeling that being able to navigate going to college and eating in a, you know, eating in a dining hall in the cafeteria at school and feeling confident with like, oh yeah, I can do all this. I can, I know how to navigate this, this area. Um, one of the things that I was thinking about when you were talking about, um, all my kid wants to do is eat sweets was you had, I want to bring it up because I, um, because you had on your Instagram of like, well, maybe that's okay. And I really loved you normalizing that. And so I'd like for you to share that here that like, say it loud and proud. It's okay. If, (laughs) if your kid likes sweets. So I'd like for you to explain why is it okay? And dive into that a little bit too, because I really loved that. I feel like every parent needs to hear it. It's so funny because I'm not sure if this was the exact post, but I just put up a reel that said something along those lines. And, um, as a couple of days ago or something, or maybe it was yesterday, I don't even know. I can't keep track, but, um, it said something about like, first of all, maybe that's normal. And like the first comment that I got was like, this is so dumb, of course. And I was like, delete. Like if you're going to start a comment like that, then there's no space here for that. Like if you want to respectfully disagree and you want to have a conversation, totally happy. But it was so funny to me. I was just like, wow, that's how you're going to start your, your comment to me. Okay. So, but I think that just goes to show the reason bringing up is I think that goes to show how hard it can be to adopt that way of thinking. Like it's so counter to what's the way that so many of us were brought up and taught um, to think about sweets, right? Like that really, you know, there are sometimes food, you shouldn't eat them very often. You need to eat something healthy first. If you want to have them, like you only get to have sweets if you finish your dinner or whatever it might be. And so it can just be so counter to think like, 
what if sweets were okay? What if it's a normal thing to enjoy them? You know, what if they can absolutely be part of your diet? Or what if it is one of your child's favorite type of food? You know, like, what if, what if that was just okay? I I don't know why we, I mean, I do know why, um, because of our culture, but as I say, I don't know why we have so much judgment, right? About like, if my child loved strawberries, I would be like, awesome. They love strawberries or awesome. They love broccoli. I wouldn't think about that as a negative. I would think about that as a positive, but why is it any different if they love sweets in terms of, we think there's something wrong with them then, or they're obsessed with it, or that's all they're ever going to eat. And that's where this idea around like, you know, neutrality comes in is how can we look at, it's just a normal thing to have preferences for foods or to like some foods more than others. And I always look at my husband and I, because I'm way more of a sweets person. He's way more of a salty person. Like he could care less about desserts or anything, you know, and I don't really care about chips very much. Not that I never eat them, but it's not something I would go to. I'd much rather have some ice cream or cookie or something, you know? And so what if we just have those preferences and that's okay. And so I think what happens though, and why we want to make it be okay is because when we feel like something's wrong with it, we go into this limiting, needing to control, needing to restrict it. And what we actually do is give it more power and energy. And it feels like that forbidden fruit. And then our child actually is drawn to it even more than just this kind of natural affinity for it. Like, yeah, I like sweets more than I like salty or I love cookies or whatever, which just feels like a very natural thing. But when we have fear around that, we actually end up driving them into a more, I don't, I hesitate with verbiage all the time because it can sound like so diet culture, like that I, I, you know, hesitate with it. But what I would say would, we actually drive them into a more like obsessive relationship with it, where it feels like what one client said to me, like this frantic energy around sweets. And so if we can just feel like that's a normal thing to like sweets, then we don't actually make it be a forbidden fruit where then our kids feel like that's all they ever want. And they're, they have this extra pull towards it. Yeah. I think also too, it really sets the framework for feeling like it's something that's kind of restricted and then they hide it from us or they eat it when it's available and they eat it in, you know, what then we feel like parents feel like is like a, um, confirmation bias now at this point, right? Like, it's like, okay. Um, I know my child has like a really strong affinity for sweets and they only want sweets and that's all they're going to eat. And so we hold them back from being able to have them. And then once it's available, Halloween comes around like, they see, I told you, you ate the entire bag of ice of like Halloween candy. And, it, and it's more of like, a, well, is it such a big deal if they had one or two pieces of Halloween candy every single day? Or is it a a more combative relationship for them to eat an entire suit, like an entire bag of Halloween candy one day a year. Like to me, it seems like, well, it's a much more neutral relationship. Whereas come Halloween, they might have an extra like few because then it's a really special day who wouldn't. Right. But it's not going to have as much of a pull on them as it would for when, if we're withholding it from them for so long. And I think, I think of, one way that we can describe it to parents is think about how every diet you've ever done, you know, like if you've done a diet and you've looked at food and you've had this list of foods that you're not allowed to eat and you're not allowed to eat it for 30 days, what do you typically do on day 31? 
right? And so we have to expect the same type, we're creating that same type of framework for our child when we withhold something from them. But if we just neutralized their relationship to a little bit, made it less of a fight, and we took the language away around, this is junk, this isn't good for you, you can't eat this, you have to eat other things. And instead, we said, yeah, you like sweets. Okay, cool. We'll make sure we have something sweet today, you know? completely different kind of framework and a lot more relaxed around it, your child's going to feel more relaxed around it too. At least that's how I look at it. If I'm relaxed about it, my child, my child's going to pick up on that same type of energy. When I'm tense about something, they're going to be tense about it too. Yeah, absolutely. I, that's such a huge point, right? I, I often talk about like the energy that we bring into the feeding relationship and with certain foods. And what you were just saying when I got feedback back from one of my programs called Making Sense of Sweets, like all of, specifically about helping your child have a healthy relationship with sugar. And one of the moms exactly said it took, right, me getting more relaxed with sweets to see my child be more relaxed and start walking away from it. Like just to be like, I've had enough, I'm done. Right. And I don't mean because that's the goal. We're like trying to get them to eat less sweets, but the goal is for them to be able to walk away from it because they've had enough versus feeling like I have to get as much as possible right now because I'm never allowed to have it or it's off limits. So if your child sometimes eats all the sweets, that's not a bad thing by any means, but we want them to have the ability to listen to their body and to just feel like I've had enough and it's not a big deal. I can stop now because I know I get sweets again and again. I know they're not bad. I know they're not off limits, but Yeah, that was the biggest piece that she said was it took me relaxing for my child to relax and be able to leave them. And, you know, if there's been this tense relationship around it, that can take time though, you know, because it's this, what often a lot of, you know, adults go through as well is it takes time to go through this period of truly trusting, oh, I am allowed to have that food again. Oh, that is okay for me to eat. And learning to listen to their body again, when it's been based on all of these rules and and things for so long. So if you're hearing this and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to try to relax about sweets. I want to think about it different. You may see your child gravitate even more at first. Cause they're like, wait, I'm really allowed to have these now. What as that kind of rebound effect. And so it takes us again, as parents kind of taking a step back and relaxing through that and knowing that's completely normal. And our job is to stay relaxed and to continue to offer them and to really allow our child to get more comfortable eating them and to know they have permission to eat them. Yeah. And I think it's really hard for a lot of people to see on their own. I, I, I love what you said about taking, knowing that there's going to be this rebound effect and kind of planning, I think planning for it and being like knowing, okay, this is going to probably happen maybe not, you know, it could happen. All right. I know that it's going to trigger a lot in me. It's going to be really hard, but what can I do to kind of calm it all down? And I think one of the things that can make it really difficult, and this is why I'll tell parents the tone at the top and for their own relationship is if you want to shift your child's relationship with food, we might want to start with shifting our own really our own relationship with food because it might be really difficult if they themselves feel like they quote unquote are addicted to sugar or addicted to certain types of foods um, especially if you have a really strong held belief around that too um, around oh I'm addicted to this this is addictive and um, I've talked in the past before on the podcast and we don't have to like dive deep into it but you're not addicted to sugar we're addicted to the relationship with sugar and the cycle that we have with sugar, which can be really difficult 
for anyone who kind of feels they have like an addictive, obsessive person, like a addictive or obsessive thought patterns around food or feeling out of control around them. And so the more that we, and if you see that mirrored in your child, you might think, oh my gosh, I'm seeing this in my kid too. And that makes us really nervous and makes us feel all these different things. But I think you're right. The more that we can plan for that and think, okay, I know that this is part of this journey and I need to relax with food for myself. I need to relax with food for my child. Here's what I can do to do that. I can kind of prep myself for that really makes the entire process a little bit more easeful in that way too. Yeah, for sure. And I think what you were just saying, right, is such a big point about for us to really look at like, where is this coming from, you know, it's like when we notice that tension in our body and that fear around it, or us, you know, how we were talking earlier about like not wanting to, you know, give them the cookies or thinking they've had too much or whatever. Like if we can take a step back and say like, why does this bother me? You know, that our children often can be a really good, um, like trigger in a way for us to go, Oh, what is it that is coming up for me? What is it that I could then work on? So instead of us, feeling that and then reacting and just saying like, no more, you're done. You need to eat your broccoli if you want to have that or whatever it might be. If we can just take a step back and like, oh, something's really coming up in me right now. What is that? And then we can really start to assess the things that that would be helpful for us to work on, you know? Yeah, absolutely. This has been such a great conversation. I feel like there's so many little pieces of the puzzle and I feel like we could go into so many different directions from here. Um, and I do have one last thing that I feel like people would really love to get advice on. And this is, I love the sweets and everything, but I was thinking about people can feel really the dinner battle can feel really challenging for a lot of parents and quite frankly, a bit frustrating because we spend time preparing a meal. And then our child is like, even like you said, when you were describing, um, setting up the structure for the meal and providing stuff that, you know, is safe and comfortable for them that they, that, you know, they like, and then all of a sudden your kid's like, I don't want to eat it, you know? (laughs) And I, and I feel like that happens a lot. it, It really starts to happen in those toddler years when your child is finally learning like, Oh, I can say no to things. Like, I don't have to do this. I see this with my daughter too. And I would love for you to share some advice you have around a very common meal situation like that, that happens and seeing what advice would you give parents if you're feeling like their kid is all of a sudden saying, nope, I don't want it. And you're trying really hard to implement this. What would advice would you be, would you be giving? I think that is really hard. You know, I, it, and I just want to say like, it, it's not easy, even if you do quote unquote, all the right things. Like, so we could talk about, right. The right things to say and how to handle it, but it's still really frustrating and it is hard. And so, and so what I would suggest though, is that you continue to hold that structure and boundaries, just like we were talking about with general parenting that a toddler, especially, but this can go up through, you know, I I usually talk about parenting with kids from like two to 12 years old. So still going up as they get older as well, where, and of course the boundaries shift and change, but that we can still hold those boundaries and allow them to have their feelings about it. So I think it's important for you to really check in with yourself to see, did I put something out that is safe and comfortable? You know, there are times I do that 
And my daughter is the most selective of my kids. And sometimes I'm like, I really did not do a good job making sure that she had something great here to eat. And so then I might think, you know what, let me pull something else out, you know, because I really didn't provide enough substance for her. Um, And so we do have to kind of check in with ourselves to see, like, did I do a good job with this to make sure there is something here that they would normally eat and enjoy and could fill up on? And then we want to hold the boundary and just say, like, I get it. I get that you don't want to eat this right now and you don't have to eat anything you don't want to. And so we really allow them to have the space to not eat if they don't want to instead of the, oh, if you take two bites, then I'll give you the cookies or then I'll make you um, the pasta that you want or whatever it might be. Because often we get into that kind of negotiating and battling around it. And what we want to do is just hold that boundary and truly allow them to just not eat. And sometimes they won't eat and they're not really that hungry and they're totally fine and they can wait until a snack later or they're, my kids sometimes literally don't eat dinner, go to bed and are fine and wake up the next morning and eat. Like maybe they're just not hungry enough to eat, you know, and that could be a reason they're saying, I don't want this because they're actually not hungry enough to eat. So we allow them to not eat. Sometimes what happens though, is once we take that pressure off and we just take a step back and say, you don't have to eat. Like the sore having, just come sit with us. You don't have to eat. They actually end up eating because now it's not a battle at all. And if they really are hungry, then they're like, oh, okay, I'm just left here. Maybe I do want to eat, right? Instead of getting into that reactive mode and just automatically pushing back and fighting and spiraling with it. Um, I had a situation recently that happened with my daughter for lunch where she came in and we hadn't even talked about lunch and I'd already made grilled cheese and she lost her marbles and was just like, oh, I don't want that. And like, make me, I forget which mac and cheese. I don't even remember what it was, but whatever it was like going on and on about it. And I hadn't picked out sides yet or anything. You know, I would usually serve some sort of fruit or vegetable and maybe another chip or cracker or pretzel or something. And so in that moment, I just held her for a while saying, I know I hear you. Like, this isn't what you wanted. Let her calm down. And then I was able to engage her to say, hey, I was going to pick out some sides. I was thinking maybe some chips. Do you want to have, you know, I don't remember at the time, like barbecue or tortilla chips or whatever it was. And then she was like, I want the barbecue chips. And then it was like, okay, I was thinking I'd put some fruit out. Do you want to pick the fruit? We could have apple or orange. So, you know, and then she was able to pick and then she ended up eating her whole grilled cheese too, which I had said, you know, was totally fine. Maybe she was just going to eat chips for that meal or chips and fruit or whatever it was. But also if there's a way to empower them or give them any choice going into a meal, that can be a helpful tool as well, where you might say like, oh, do you want to pick broccoli or green beans tonight? Or which kind of chip do you want to have? Or would you rather have um, rice or pasta with this? You know, like we can give choices too, but then we still have to stick to that because we don't want to go, oh, I changed my mind. I don't want this. And now we're the short order cook. We're really frustrated. So we can give choices to help empower, hold the boundary, um, make sure we're doing our job to make sure everything's there. And then just step back and allow them to not eat if they don't want to and, and see what they do. Just give them that space. I know. And that can be the hardest part for parents. I see it so much with the, oh my gosh, waiting there and seeing like, well, what if they don't eat? Maybe they're not hungry. Chances are if they're hungry, they're going to eat something like that's like what's going to end up happening. But I really love what you said around giving them choice, because I really do think the more you engage 
with them about what we're eating and helping them get involved in the overall process. But they're much more inclined to doing things that I never expect my daughter to do. Like we were making homemade pizza. And instead of me dictating what we were putting on everything, I put everything out in little bowls for her and let her build her own. And normally she would never put spinach on her pizza. But she did. She like saw it all chopped up. She goes, oh, I'm going to put this on there. And she threw that on there. She threw all kinds of different stuff on there. And I was shocked. And then she ate it and enjoyed it. And so I do think, and that's not always the end goal is trying to get your, like tricking your kid into eating spinach. But it was just an example of, I think the more you can involve them in the process and make them feel like they have more control. If I had said, we have to put spinach on your on your pizza, it would have been a whole other thing. But the fact that I kind of went about it, like, well, I'm going to put some on mine. It's here. If you want some, you can, you can put whatever you want on there. And I do love the example of the chips and being able to offer options like that. Um, we'll sometimes even turn to our daughter and say, Hey, can you go in the fridge and pick out a vegetable that you want to have tonight for dinner? And sometimes it, she'll look in there and pull out the drawer and say, Ooh, and then she'll pick something out and, and bring it over. Um, and so I think that does really help with the overall engagement. And I like, I do think a lot of it is a sense of autonomy and control, like for kids. And the more that we can kind of build any kind of opportunity for them to see that they have autonomy about what goes in their body and how they feed themselves and that we trust that they're going to make a choice that is cool with us, you know, like, like, yeah, it's fine. We can do that. Or, Ooh, that one's tough to make tonight. Let's, <laughs> we'll do that this weekend or, or whatever. Um, we, we give them that kind of encouragement and make them feel really confident around it. So this has been such a great conversation. I, I really appreciate it. And I think there's so many layers of takeaways that people can get from today's episode. But before we wrap up, can you share with us like, if you have anything coming up? You mentioned a course in here that we'll share in the show notes. Um, but anything you have coming up, where people can find you, learn more about all the different things that you're doing. I love it all. So I think parents need this everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. So I am on Instagram at Nicole Cruz RD and I post there regularly. And I also have a private Facebook group, um, free Facebook group called Joyful Eating for Your Family. So there's a community aspect there. Um, and, uh, you know, if you've been listening to this and you are thinking like this is something, I actually have two new workshops coming out. I'm really excited about because I get a lot of questions about the like, where do I start? And so I have one workshop, exactly what we were talking about, called End Mealtime Battles, and then another one called um, First Steps to Raise an Intuitive Eater. And so I have those. They're just going to be like short to the point workshops so that you can really get the whole like philosophy and approach in a, in a quick way to just get some wins and feel like, okay, I, I get this now without it being overwhelming. Because I feel like that's sometimes like, oh, I've been doing all of these things quote unquote wrong. And where, where do I even start? And so the whole idea is to really just give you those foundational exact steps to start with. So both of those are coming up in the next couple of weeks, actually, they will be out and about. Um, and then I do have some larger courses, uh, specifically to sweets, making sense of sweets, and then one called feed your family with confidence. So, um, those are available as well. Amazing. What other workshops are they in April or are they going to be live and like living there and on that people can join anytime. Yeah, they're going to be just available anytime so that anybody can walk in and just get them. Um, that was, yeah, I really wanted to focus on when people come into this world that they can get it whenever they need it. Um, I love doing live stuff. Um, I do, 
you know, trainings and things every so often as well. But these, I really just wanted to be like, you don't have to wait for anything when (laughs) I know as a parent myself, when I'm struggling with something and I'm like searching for it, or I need it, I don't want to wait two months until you're doing it live or whatever. I'm like, just give me the information you need now. (laughs) Ordering it at 1030 at night and be like, exactly, exactly exactly what I'm doing. Yes. Um, I love that. So that's really great. So that means that no matter when you're listening to this, there is access to these courses that can give you the foundations that you need to, to really facilitate all the things that we've been talking about. So thank you so much, Nicole, for coming on. It's been wonderful chatting with you and um, maybe we'll have you on again in the future. Thank you. I would love that. And today was super fun. So thank you for having me. friends, it's Dana, and thanks for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your family and friends, subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and if you can, we would absolutely love it if you left a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps spread the word so more people can find the show and learn how to break out of diet culture, the body image spiral, and find a more peaceful relationship with food in their bodies with wholehearted eating. If you're interested in learning more about how you can work with me or Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling or checking out our self-paced courses, head over to wholeheartedeating.com and we'll see you again here next week.